I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast, hosted on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network, and my guest today is a return guest. It has been a while, but he has a new book out. I am incredibly excited to speak today with a um, somewhat longtime friend, um, I mean, depending on how you judge a long time, but Jeff Brown, a brother in this, uh, <laughs> well, we were talking about quote-unquote spiritual realm. Um, but Jeff, thank you for coming back on the show. It is a pleasure to have you. It's good to be with you, Chris. Thank you. So I'm going to read your bio as I always do to start the show. And then okay. uh, we're going to jump into this thing. So uh, for anyone unfamiliar with Jeff's work, uh, Jeff is a formal, excuse me, former criminal lawyer and psychotherapist. Jeff Brown is the author of six popular books, and they are quite popular. Soul Shaping, A Journey of Self-Creation, Ascending with Both Feet on the Ground, Love It Forward, An Uncommon Bond, Spiritual Graffiti, and most recently, Grounded Spirituality, which will be a big focus of our conversation today. He is also the producer and primary journeyer in the award-winning spiritual documentary, Carmageddon, which also features Ram Das, Sean Korn, David Life, Adiva Pramal and Mitten, amongst others. Um, a really wonderful documentary that I've watched twice. Highly recommend that. Uh, continuing on, after writing a series of inspirations for ABC's Good Morning America in 2010 and appearing on FoxNews.com and dozens of radio shows, Brown wrote the viral blog Apologies to the Divine Feminine from a Warrior in Transition. That autumn... Happy, excuse me, catapulting him to a greater degree of notoriety, particularly in social media. Jeff's new terms and short writings became quotes that have been shared in social media by Alanis Morissette, Fergie, Chrissy Metz, and many other well-known figures. Most beautifully, they have touched and benefited millions of souls. The uh, excuse me, this gratifies him deeply. He now understands that most of the challenges he faced and the millions of steps of overcoming 
were intended for this purpose, to support humanity in their efforts to embody all that they are, not to bypass their humanness, but to celebrate it, not to find enlightenment independent of the self, but to find their awakening deep within it. In April 2018, Jeff was invited to Ottawa by Sophie Greg, uh, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Is it Gregoire? Gregoire. Gregoire. This coming from the guy who lived in Canada for a while. <laughs> My apologies. Uh, gender equality activist and the wife of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to film a conversation about emotional healing and inclusivity. She had been sharing Jeff's words and speeches and social media posts for some time. Excerpts from that powerful dialogue are viewable on Sophie's Facebook and Instagram pages. Jeff is also the founder of Soul Shaping Institute and Enrealment Press. He lives in Canada with his wife, the wonderful poet Susan Freibord. So Jeff, again, thanks for taking the time to rejoin me on the Indie Spirituals podcast. Here we are, Chris Grosso. <laughs> Once again, are. my friend. Just you and me in some <laughs> form or other. That's right. So, you know, Jeff, I'm, I'm so glad to have you back on. Um, your new book that's out, Grounded Spirituality, uh, absolutely incredible, absolutely necessary. Uh, to me, I was going to say now more than ever, but I feel like this kind of stuff is always necessary. Features a wonderful, wonderful forward by the beloved by many, Andrew Harvey, um, who <laughs> I see beloved by many because, as we know, Andrew being the mystic he is, it can be a loose cannon at times, which is just another reason I absolutely adore him. Um, but yeah, so before we get into this book, which um, I'm excited to talk to you about and share with the audience, I know, like I said, I've had you on the show before. It's been a long time at least several years. So can you give us just a brief nutshell of what led Jeff to grounded spirituality? I know, you know, the attorney, ABC, good morning. Um, however you want to just bring our readers up to speed a little bit about that. Um, I think that, you know, I was always, I mean, I explored ways of sort of disconnecting, detaching and dissociating, but I, I never, I just, it's just not my nature to really stay out there for too long. You know, I'm, I'm a Virgo. Mm. Um, I'm a door knocker. I had a window company until two years ago. I've knocked on more doors in North America selling product than anybody ever. <laughs> uh, and I think that may actually be true. And, yeah. you know, I've always been in my feet um, and I've always moved my body. Um, and, you know, even my movement in the psychotherapeutic world where I was a sort of a client talk therapy off and on for many years. And, Eventually, that moved in the direction of embodied practice. You know, mm -hmm. I worked with Alexander Lowen, who's the co-founder of Bioenergetics, and and went right back into my body. You know, and went right back into my feet and manifest a therapist like him who insisted on grounding and vibration and and moving into the body, excavating the holdings and moving the material. And so I've just had a natural orientation, probably a calling in the direction of um, embodiment, um, and in the in, in the direction of being more earth oriented. And, you know, the way that I survived my crazy childhood was always to try to stay congruent in reality. Everybody was either detaching or dissociating or, you know, going into a pocket of perception. And, and it, it just was always intuitive to me to try to be the one that held all the threads of what was true at the same time. Um, I think Virginia Satir called it the congruent one. So, 
that's just feels like it's it's my directionality, you know, on mm-hmm. in terms of my own true path or sacred purpose in this lifetime. And so as I move through the psychotherapeutic work um, and experienced what what we could call a spiritual field or a unity consciousness field through the embodiment at the end of releases, at the end of emotional work, um, at the end of transformative phases, you know, I moved into this thing called spirituality. And, you know, with a different orientation than many people did, I had experienced it. My access to unity happened through my embodiment, through the opening of the heart, through the opening of the holdings and armor, getting below the armor and the tissues. And so as I, you know, hang out with Bhagavan Das and filmed Carmageddon and interviewed Ram Das around that. And, you know, I was asking this question, what is this spirituality thing? And I asked Al Lowen. I think in our last session and Lowen said, well, you know, spirituality is embodiment. It's, you know, it's you, you ground and energize the body and you become spirited. That's spirituality. Mm. And that really was my inclination as well. And for the number of years that I've been after I wrote soul shaping, you know, and was characterized as a spiritual author, I never really under, felt comfortable with that in the <laughs> yeah. way that we understand spirituality in the world. Yes. Um, yeah. So I began to question what this word meant. You know, we use the word spiritual, but nobody really asks what they're talking about. And it became clear to me through my own internal process and through my own explorations into this thing in the industry called spirituality, that what we were calling spirituality was primarily dissociated. And that what I wanted and felt we needed as a species was a spirituality that was more inclusive and honoring of every element of the human experience that came through the body itself. Um, And, you know, someone I knew on Facebook in 2013 hung herself um, after buying into a lot of new cage, what I call the new cage movement principles, patriarchal spirituality, all that dissociated stuff. Um, and then fired their therapist, and then when their stuff kept reappearing in the night, as it will, because it's still in their bodies, right. um, they didn't have anyone to turn to and eventually ended their own life. And that really took me to the next level as a sacred activist in terms of really understanding that this question of what is spirituality is no game. This question of what is spirituality and what we're calling enlightenment and awakening out there often, often is leading people to slaughter. Um, and I didn't want to believe that. I wanted to believe it was lovely and soft and love and light and all the rest of it. But that just isn't true. It's actually a, a very important question, what is spirituality? And it's a very dangerous thing to avoid asking that question because we keep leading people often in the direction of something that is not ultimately healthy or inclusive, especially for trauma survivors who don't want need to dissolve the ego and the self. Uh, they already are dissolved and fragmented. We need a spirituality that leads them back into integration within the body itself. Yeah, I got it, Jeff. First of all, yes, <laughs> yes to all of this. Um, you know, you and I share so much in common. Uh, I loved in the beginning of the book, uh, you 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 outlay your journey, which you just kind of gave us in a nutshell. You, of course, go into much greater detail in the book itself. And um, I I know we've we've spoken quite a bit, but I don't recall ever. Um, uh, unless I, I just am drawing a blank, but where you talk about working with a therapist and the ways in which he really grounded you into your body. And I was really, really uh, touched and impressed by that. Um, you know, the fact that he, he's really just emphasizing the importance of going inward and, 
you know, that alone. And down and downward. And downward. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, downward. Especially and, downward. Not upwards, yes. not up and out, not heightened, not higher than, right. not rising above. We're not birds. None of that bullshit. Right. Going right down into the body, the encoded beingness, all of this right here as your portal to this thing called divinity or unity consciousness. Because for me, if we have a spirituality that doesn't embody us, then we're not here for anything. Right. And in the game, they call it the now, the power of now, the be here now, all this sure. nonsense. But they're not here. You right. can't be here if you're not in the heart of the body itself, because that really is the way in which we connect to the everything. Yeah, absolutely. And and I remember, you know, reading your earlier work and having conversations with you and um, and really understanding that these what I thought I'd had could be considered non-dual experiences, something we'll, mm-hmm. we'll dive more deeply into later was in it was a unitive transcendent experience and not that there's anything wrong with that but was it truly like an embodied non-dual experience because were you really here yes exactly the body wasn't and uh and that's where like i appreciate this approach the this you know the way you offer it it's what i wrote about in my second book everything mind and i often talk about uh, nagarjuna the buddhist scholar who talks about the two truths which you can also find in various uh teachings in hinduism which is the truth of the ultimate and the truth of the relative ultimate being that you know universal consciousness that which is unmanifest that gives form to the relative which is the physical but you can't have one without the other and he's not saying one is more true than the other it's simply these are two truths and in in the quote-unquote spiritual realm people tend to just want to transcend and, yeah, so that yeah. So exactly. So that I define spirituality as reality. Mm. So the most spiritual person is the one who is holding or connected to the greatest number of threads of reality. Right. The one who has merely mastered a singular thread, which we often call the spiritual person or the spiritual teacher, right. for me is actually the least spiritual person. Mm. They're a jack. They're 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 not a jack of all trades, master of none, which is something I actually elevate. They are primarily masterful in one regard, uh, which is very similar to what men do in the economic realms, trying to perfect the economic realms. It's the same thing for me. Yeah. So so let me just bring it back to subjectivity for a sec, Chris. Yeah, relation yeah. to what you said. So my experience was this: that when I endeavored to access this thing we call unity consciousness from a place that was intended to disconnect from or was dissing of some element of my humanness, my story or my ego or my body or my feelings or my identifications. That experience of this thing called unity consciousness was not the same experience I had of unity consciousness when I went deep down into the caverns of my body, cleared my emotional debris, came to a point or a moment or an experience of clarity, and then naturally became meditative, naturally felt unified. Those were two completely different experiences. The first one felt shaky, bifurcated, dissociative, and I knew, and I had to kind of avoid my worldly experience or I came crashing down to earth. So it really wasn't a integrated or even truly authentic experience of unity. Um, right. When I experienced it with Lowen in my body, went outside after or after a holotropic breathwork deep release with Stan Groff's work, and went outside and connected to nature, my experience of the bulrush field was unified. I was naturally meditative, and it all came through the emotional body. It felt sustainable. It felt bridged. I felt like I was a bridge between this thing called transcendence and this thing called imminence. Um, 
and but most of what we've been calling spirituality and michael is a perfect example of it in grounded through the dialogues is an experience of unity that really is nothing more than something intended to get away from the discomfort of the human experience it's the dude in the meditation cave for 40 years being brought milk from the lowly mundane villagers it's that nonsense as opposed to the one who goes into the cave has an experience comes back and finds the weave finds the techniques finds the points of integration that doesn't diss our humanness but honors it and understands it to live at the heart of our spirituality Right. And I appreciate it at one point in the dialogues, and we will get into that in, in a moment. But, you know, you mentioned that it's one thing to, and, and not verbatim, but sit on a cushion, meditate, whatever, and and feel that oneness. But then when you go out into the world, uh, New York City, for example, or Toronto, where you're located, or last I knew, Toronto-ish, um, you know, you're in, you're in an area where there's a lot going on. How present are you in that moment you know and 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 how present are you in human relationships which is often the perfect measure of all of it right yeah so often these bifurcators and dissociation dissociationists are a complete and utter mess in their relationships and now that's the truth of the collective experience we are at a stage in human development where it's all we can do to manage relationship most people can't even figure out their own stuff let alone manage it with another person but The difference is that those of us who stay a little closer to earth have a better chance of developing more of an authentic relating practice. If you're moving through the world telling yourself that you're above the fray, that you have found a technique that makes you more advanced, that, you know, they come on my wall and they say, you just haven't accessed what we've accessed yet. (laughs) Well, Well, maybe I've accessed it and I realized it wasn't enough and I had the courage to come down and try to integrate it with my humanness. Um, Never occurs to them. It becomes an elitist superior trip. It becomes the master yogi, the master meditator, the master awakener, all this name changing, all this bloody bullshit just to get away from admitting that we're human and we're imperfect and we're carrying a lot of pain individually and collectively. And we need desperately to find a way to work all of that together or else we are a complete and utter mess in our relationships with everything outside of ourselves. Couldn't agree more. And that's – I really appreciate in uh, in no way self-promoting but in Everything Mind. Again, the second book I wrote, Ken Wilber wrote the forward and he goes to great length to write about uh, – what is it? Waking up, growing up and cleaning up. And he does so in a way where he's saying that – you know, you look at all of these scandals that have been happening, you know, long before today. There's ones recent, there's ones in the past. Um, and yes, people can become enlightened, uh, quote unquote enlightened. But <coughs> what does that mean if you are still not growing up as an individual, cleaning well, up means, the traumas? And- it means they're not enlightened. So so let's be really careful with our words. Sure. What Ken Wilber calls enlightened, yeah. studying patriarchal teachings and assimilating sure. them, showing us a model and a template. I don't align with, with Ken's work in that regard at all. Sure. I, I really align with a more embodied and heartened version of reality. Yeah. For me, emotional maturation and spiritual spiritual maturation are synonymous. And this is fundamental to my work and fundamental to an enrealed or grounded spirituality. So if you are having this experience of this thing called enlightenment and mm. something called the spiritual field, but you're a complete uh, nincompoop in the way you relate to your feelings and in your relationships, there is nothing enlightened about you. That's mm. in bullshit. It's nothing more than that. And I think that's the problem. We have split off. So this is why gurus have gotten away with all this nonsense forever. That's why people are reluctant 
to deconstruct and critically review teachings. I'm doing it in the book, and people come after me and go, how can you dare to critique the power of now? Well, what do you mean? <laughs> I can critique politics. I can, I can freedom, freely express my views on legal decisions, yeah. but not – and religion. I'm allowed now. It's okay. You can say what you want about bullshit religion, but you can't critically review spiritual teachings despite the fact that they have implications for millions of people. Right. And my problem with all of – all of, almost all of what we've been calling spirituality, certainly in the patriarchal traditions, is this – distinction or bifurcation between spirituality and humanness. That is the problem. Because once you do that, Chris, you can do anything you want and get away with it. You can say, well, sure, I slept with everybody in the Sangha and I yeah, slept with yeah. all of my devotees' wives, but that's not really me. Right. It's just my personality. Right. So it's a perfect, perfect recipe for manipulation and disaster. But if you start to define spirituality as something that's measured by how we move through the world on a feeling based and emotional and relational level, then you begin to expose most of these spiritual teachers as complete and utter frauds. Yeah, very well said. And you know that you and I are virtually on the same exact page there. So no disagreement. Um, so let's talk about the book. Starting off, you know, kind of throw out a cliche, you've already kind of talked about this, but just to be very clear, it's called Grounded Spirituality. Can you tell listeners what you mean by that specifically? And again, I think you've already in your own way said it, but just so we're very clear, Grounded Spirituality is. Let me read it. Uh, grounded spirituality is an all-encompassing experience of spirituality that is rooted in and threads throughout all aspects of our humanity and earthly experience. We begin and end our spiritual quest within the ground of our being, our embodied humanness, as both interpreter of experience and as our individuated portal to divinity. We don't look outside our human form for spirituality. We look deeper within name and form, cultivating a more refined understanding of the divine reflection that exists right in the heart of our selfhood. We honor its sacred qualities and transformative properties, celebrating it as the perfectly constructed laboratory of expansion that it is. With our feet rooted firmly on Mother Earth and in daily life, we become grounded in reality in all its identifiable forms. We expand outward and inward from there. In essence, grounded and spirituality are synonyms. Synonyms. They both mean reality. The more deeply grounded you are in your body and selfhood, the more fully the more you're f more fully you are here. The more fully you are here, the more spiritual your experience. It is from the depths of your being that you have the greatest access to the everything. Love it. And I love that you do include that because I know you mentioned in the book that people ask you that often. So I appreciate you reading that actually right out of the book. Um, so there you go. Okay. Now everyone's clear on there that. There we go. There we go. Grounded exactly. spirituality. Here we are. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, before we jump into the actual conversational portion of the book, because again, we kind of covered the journey or gave it a nutshell. Um, spirituality again for lack of a better word we we have to name things um but let's just for whatever quote-unquote spirituality i know you do talk about the practices and notions and how they can limit our human experience um and i've talked at length about in previous books and talks again meditation things of that nature while in certain regards can be exceptionally beneficial i still meditate i do have a practice but i also recognize when i'm using it as a means of aversion and dropping out or as an addictive quality because i know you talk about in the book 
which is something we'll get to later. I don't want to jump in ahead, but uh, rather than spiritual bypassing, you call it transcendence bypassing, just kind of a new take on a, an older term. But in what ways do, do you see from your experience and in talking and working with others that, quote, unquote, again, spirituality can limit the human experience? Well, the way we've defined spirituality does limit the human experience because mm-hmm. it's spirituality as defined as something um, distinct from the human experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, the closest they get is this. What's that that quote? And I have it in the book. Um, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Yes. Um, so that sounds I used to love that. It was like, yeah, that's cool. That reminds me that there's something more than my human experience. But then I thought, well, that kind of implies that my spiritual life exists somewhat independent of my human experience and the human experience is one element of it. And I thought, well, if that's true, then what are the other, how can I experience any other elements independent of my humanness? It doesn't even make sense to me. So then I added in, we are also human beings having a spiritual experience and it's the same thing. I can't tell you Uh, not to interrupt, but I gotta say, Jeff, I have quoted you on that uh, because I remember the first time I think you wrote uh that. Yeah, a long time yeah, and I've quoted you a million times. So thank you. I love that. So anyways, carry on. Yeah, absolutely. So so I think for me, it's it's so what are we I mean, let's just understand this question more deeply. We, we use this word spirituality. See, one of the reasons I don't like the term spiritual bypass and I use it because people kind of have a sense now of what it means. Right. But what it kind of implies is that we're bypassing reality by going somewhere spiritual. And because I believe spirituality is reality, I don't think that's true. I don't think we're actually bypassing reality by going somewhere spiritual. I think we're bypassing something spiritual, which is reality, by disconnecting with this linear notion of what spirituality is. Right. So what brings it home for me is just to think about it in terms of this notion of nowness or presence. You know, this is a big part of how they patriarchal spirituality languages, you know, they blame the mind for everything, which is preposterous. And they talk a lot about the power of now or be here now and being in the now. And, and we don't really sit back and go, well, what version of nowness are we talking about? So when I, when I have an experience of nowness or the spiritual field where I am on some level able through some technique and with certain intentions, because intention lives at the heart of all of this, as you know, to experience nowness, this wonderful, flavorful, or sometimes empty and equanimous experience of an absolute consciousness field and call that the nowness, and then bring my message to the world that this is what the now really feels like. So I get why people like that, because they get a break from their habitual range of feeling and functioning in the world. And we need right. a break. From it. We need perspective. Yes, right. Agreed. We need to witness sometimes. These are, you know, these are helpful techniques if they're yeah. used in the right way. But if I stay out there and float out there and start to identify myself as blissful only because I'm no longer feeling the pain of the human experience, that to me is not any kind of nowness. Quite often, people who are talking about the now, they don't feel vital. They don't feel enlivened. There's no fluctuations in their voice. There's no energy around the personality. There's no feeling coming off of their body. Often, their bodies are dead and stagnant, and they're saying that they're living in the now. So clearly, they're talking about a different version of the now, a different notion of enlightenment, and a different version of spirituality than I am. So when I went to work with Alexander Lowe and this 87-year-old man would come in the room, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, vital, feeling-based, alive – and I said, yeah, that's the now. <laughs> Baby, that's the now. Because my body's awake to all threads of the human experience, good and bad, shadow yes. and light, 
mangoes and dried bread. Everything is there. And I thought, that's that's the now I want. The real power of now, not the stagnant, meditative, dissociated power of now. Right. Not the name changing now where I can only experience the now if I make a new name for myself because I don't want to be who I was even though I am who I was because right. I'm carrying right. that lineage everywhere in my body. I wanted Jeff Brown to have now. Jeff Brown who comes from Barbara and Albert Brown, who comes from Granny Perlove and Zeta Perlove, who came from that whole human lineage to be in the now in a way that held all of that within the container. And as that became clearer and clearer to me and has become clearer and clearer to me, I began to understand that it wasn't just about what I needed for me. It was what I believe we need as a collective. You know, right. If we keep right. pondering our navel, navel and experiencing enlightenment as a vertical, isolated experience, we're not going to give a shit what happens to the people around us and we're not going to care what happens to the planet itself. And it ends up leading us in a direction of self-centeredness, although, of course, they claim to not be self-centered, but in fact, they really are completely self-centered yeah. uh, yeah. as opposed – because as I go more deeply into my body and I more deeply open my heart and more deeply come into all of what I am, I become more naturally relational and more naturally caring horizontally about what's happening outside of me. I Absolutely. stop looking up for my answers. I start looking out, down, and around me for the answers. And so I think this movement towards the ground of spirituality that's building in, in, in realm and consciousness is not simply about individual preference. It's about collective necessity. I love that. I, yeah. And again, you know, we're, we're so so much on the same page. And um, I think we even in our uh, maybe our Facebook messaging back and forth, I might have mentioned this, but whatever word one cares to call it you know i'll say just for for our conversation spirit with a capital s you know the all-encompassing again that, that universal consciousness whatever um it arises from this unmanifest state and here we are and our bodies are a part of that everything is a part of that the garbage can is a part of that the concerts the metal concerts or hip-hop concerts i go to where you know who decides what is and isn't spiritual and i love that you know kind of along those lines in part of the book you talk about like so what we were created kind of as a mistake because here we are well, that's the implication right, right. that's the implication of yeah. that the what we've been told is spirituality by the patriarchal traditions is that the self the ego the body sometimes are certainly our feelings. Sure. Um, our stories are all illusory, uh, right. misinterpreted, mistaken. So what's real, Chris? Yeah. Exactly. Um, and we get what motivates it. You know, I think of it in terms of my being a little boy and, you yeah. know, and, and being caught with my hand in the cookie jar and not wanting to be exposed or connected to my own shadow. So picking up my Captain America shield and saying, I am Captain America. Right. It's the exact same thing those dudes are doing in the meditation caves, convincing everybody in the village that they're the heightened ones bringing the great message of awakening to humanity, while the real work of living, being, and being a spiritual being is happening right in the heart of that community. To me, it's the that's exactly what's going on here. And, you know, we need to sit back. You know, I understand people talk about lineage. Jeff Brown has no lineage. Jeff Brown has a lineage. It's, it's called uh, – Jeffrey Lauren Brown, born September 15, 1962 at Mount Sinai <laughs> Hospital in Toronto, right. to Barbara and Albert Brown with all their Michigas and those beautiful grandparents and that and Toronto, Canada. And although I have a whole lot of lineage, I don't need to read somebody else's book to tell me what it is. I can figure it all out for myself and do my best at that. And I think we need to stop believing 
that what we've been told is spirituality or is awakening is because most of it is deadened, dissociated and disconnected from what we need to move forward as a species. Agreed. And I love that, uh, you know, speaking again about Andrew Harvey, I remember doing um, an online program with him and Adam Bucko at one point, and he was talking about the pathless path and, you know, having this direct experience, you know, in a way that's undeniable. So, you know, your own truth. But he does also mention just to play, to be fair, um, that there can be pitfalls that come along with that. We can kind of fall into an egoic nature and, and, you know, start to believe one thing because it's serving the ego. And again, not making ego the bad guy, but it's, it's uh, spiritualizing the ego rather than again, embodying going deeper what we're talking about in grounded spirituality but same here like you know i am on ram Dass's network and i look to him and maharaji is as teachers they've been very influential in my life and i think there is something to be said for a good teacher that can help light the way but at the end of the day i also believe that any and this is just for me but any good quote-unquote teacher is always constantly trying to guide their student um, you know, as Mirabai Star might say, like wean them from the breast, like, you know, send them, guide them out on their own. So that's just my two cents. I mean, it's an interesting thing. I, I don't I, you know, the closest thing to a spiritual teacher that I've ever identified were body centered psychotherapists because sure. they were the ones that were bringing me more deeply into the fleshy nature of my humanness and my spiritual access. And right. People who call themselves spiritual teacher would often bring me into one thread of consciousness, but also often disconnect me from others. So I don't think anybody should really be calling themselves a spiritual teacher because because I define spirituality as reality. That means they're saying that they're bringing us into all elements of reality. Yeah. I think they should call themselves what they are, a good meditation teacher, a, sure. somebody who's masterful at witnessing, who can help them with forgiveness practice, all of those things. Yes. It's fine. But a spiritual teacher, I think that's an unhealthily egoic self-definition that just makes them feel better about themselves on level on some level while at the same time dissing the self altogether it's it's all filled riddled with contradiction and confusion from the from the get-go well you'll appreciate then my my bio jeff because the first literally the way it starts off is chris grosso is not a spiritual teacher and then continues <laughs> on i mean verbatim that's how my it's bio starts so it's um it's comforting yes no i uh, i cringe i literally cringe when anyone ever introduces me in that fashion but, you know, Chris, it's an industry. I mean, we have yeah. to really understand something here. And as I've gone deeper into my own explorations and spoken to publishers and, you know, who tell me that non-duality is selling candy to babies. And we know why, because <laughs> yes. it's dissociative. Right. And so this is an industry. You know, yeah. people calling themselves masters at various things is because they want to make money. They either want to feed the unhealthy elements of the ego right. or they want to build economically or both. And people really need to understand people who were lost you know, I care about humanity. Of course, um, and, yeah. and if you care about humanity, then you want humanity to be very careful buying into what they're told about who people are and to really develop the ability to self-attune, trust their intuition and pay really close attention to what people are telling them and decide if, in fact, they're telling them anything at all. Yes. And so you mentioned non-duality. And I know, in Ch which I was going to say it's the flavor of the month, but it's been the flavor of several years. You know, it's mindfulness, it's non-duality. It yeah, shifts yeah. from one thing to another. But I love chapter four. You have the non-dual, dual, D-U-E-L. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about non-duality? You know, it's so big right now. 
What, yeah. what is your experience and understanding of this and if it and how it fits into grounded spirituality yeah. as well as how can it be a hindrance? I mean, maybe we've already covered yeah. that at length, so yeah. you might not no. even need to talk about that, but you know, well, I'll, talk, I'll talk about everything, Chris. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I call it the avoida movement, not yeah. the invader movement, because most of my experiences <laughs> around the so-called non-dualists, uh, again, have I've I've not been impressed and I've not gained any sense that they're talking about what I would consider to be a truly unified non-dual field. Sure. Uh, again, they seem to be parceling out certain parts of the human experience as the real track or the real directionality of an enlightened or awakened consciousness, um, often rooted in patriarchal traditions, books written by Indian men. I've read so many of them. They're almost always the exact same book with slight distinctions. Um, And I don't consider them to be non-dual teachers. I don't consider them to be unity consciousness advocates. I don't think they know what they're talking about. And, you know, I did a a sand conference a number of years ago and went to different things and and there were a number of people there who were spewing the same invaded nonsense. And just it was just I, I couldn't resonate with any of it because I didn't feel like my humanist was deeply and fully and enlivened and present and all the acknowledgement of the trauma and acknowledgement of how trauma blocks our access to the now. I mean, how can anybody talk about the now if they're really aware of what human beings are carrying? They're right. not able right. to be in the now because they're not fully in their bodies. Their bodies are constricted, shallow breath, armored, heads up and away from the body, hips tightened, rigidify the whole thing. You can't be in the now if your body's not enlivened, if you're holding that much material within you. Some part of you is separated from other parts. There is no unity consciousness within the body. If there is no unity consciousness, inclusive, integrated experience in the body, there is no experience of a non-dual field. It's just a cerebral experience of a non-dual field. And then ironically, they bash the mind when the – Reality is they're only accessing reality through the mind. And so they're trapped in this dumb-ass mind loop where mind is blamed, monkey mind is blamed. They go in witnessing mind to contain and deal with. They go into meditative practice to contain the monkey mind. And meanwhile, their body is a complete swamp of unresolved material. So what I've been told is the non-dual field and satsangs and binda satsangs, the whole thing, none of it feels to me like it has anything to do with true non-duality because it's so absolutely devoid of humanness. Um, so for me, Alexander Lowen's psychotherapy sessions, the work core energetics people are doing, Peter Levine's work with somatic experience, they're actually leading people in the direction of a true non-dual field, sure, which sure. completely comes through their experience of reality through the body itself. Yeah, I agree. And, and um, I think I mentioned in the introduction I, I recently wrote for a forthcoming book, which coincidentally, you know, I mentioned you and grounded spirituality. I talk about how it's been so oh, quite a while since I've read quote unquote a spiritual book, just like you. I've read them all practically, and um, I just haven't felt it. So I've been reading, like you said, Peter Levine, Gabor Mate, John Bradshaw. You know, these people that are talking about like the the stuff that's bringing us back into our bodies. The shame, the guilt, the traumas, the, you know, uh, all the stuff that's in there and uh, and preventing us from feeling ourselves. Right. And if you can't feel yourself, how can you be here? Right. Right. You're not here. You're here in some fractured, fragmented, tortured, repressed, contained 
um, way. That's not my experience of nowness. So when I go, if I go and buy into the satsang game and sit and do the whole stupor and do the whole thing with them, then my experience of nowness is so ridiculously limited by contrast to my experience of the now when I go through the body itself. It's like two completely different planets. And right. when I go deeply into the tissues and deeply into the body, I don't walk around cocky like elitist spiritual thinking i've got it all figured out i'm awakened and enlightened if anything i realize how much more i haven't unraveled i realize how relative the nature of awakening is how many more stages and processes i haven't even begun to attend to in, in the individual and collective material that i'm holding i become more humble i become more human i become more aware of my connection to other when i do the other path i feel disconnected and i've explored this in myself i yeah. feel above yeah. the fray i feel Feel superior. I feel like I've got it all worked out and everybody else is just stumbling around down the village. I get into that whole unhealthily egoic state and I see the purpose it serves. I now no longer have to connect to how fucked up I am. Yeah, absolutely. What a fucking joke. Yeah. And, and I can tell myself that I'm not fucked up, that everyone else is fucked up. Right. And that's what they call enlightenment. Almost every single one of them. And so we're talking about the body. And this segues great into chapter five. It's called the body temple. And there is a section in there called waking down. And to further kind of go a little deeper into this, I wanted to share just a part of that section um, because I think a lot of listeners can relate. And if they're willing to be honest, might say, okay, I, I've done or do that. Cause I can tell you I've done this as well. Um, now, also, before I, I read it, um, we did mention, but I want to be clear because I don't know if I did clarify, after the journey uh, portion of the book, which is the beginning and it's your journey, the rest of the book is in a conversational format. You are conversing with this fictional character named Michael. However, you make it clear that much uh, or mo many of these conversations are based on actual interactions you've had with people um not the same person but varying people and things and topics that you've discussed if if i've done a somewhat adequate job of mm -hmm. explaining that correctly um so in the waking down uh portion of chapter five you're having this conversation with again the fictional character michael and he's talking about feeling like a mess and his body feels like it's melting down, which prompted him to do this long, intense. Um, I think he, you said he'd done like a two hour ish meditation um, or he had told you that to which you replied. And, and I did uh, mark this. So verbatim, your reply was so rather than embracing the body's inherent wisdom, you hyper meditated to tame it. And, you know, just that line, like that's, again, something. There it is. Yeah. So I, you know, again, I, I, you and I are so much on the same page uh, on that. And I've already mentioned spirituality, meditation, all of these things can be extremely beneficial, but can also be a means of aversion. So, right. And remember the context, right? Just yeah. to remind that in that yeah. book was I had been leading Michael through a process to come back down into whatever it is he was trying to avoid through his addiction to meditation. Right. And he encountered some very, very uncomfortable feelings. Right. Um, and then he went back to the thing that's allowed him to manage that, which is his three hour meditation practice or whatever it was. Yeah. And 
So I said what I said to him and he said his response was, well, that's the idea to train the body so that it doesn't undermine our goals. Um, And then I say, oh, the old override the body routine again, train it and contain it to find peace. So you get exactly what happens here and you get where intentionality matters. If I go and meditate because I want to calm my nervous system, because I want to get some perspective on the Mishigas that's running through me, because I want to detach from my daily experience and remember that there's something else to connect to, it's wonderful. Who has a problem with it? It's when it becomes a mechanism that allows you to perpetually avoid the honest experience of your own emotional life. That's when it becomes dangerous. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, and and I know you mentioned earlier that you had the tragic loss of your friend, something that you and I had discussed um, previously, who and and I still see this happening. Um, I feel and I don't know if it's different for you. I, I feel like there is a a sort of shift that's finally starting to move away from this what you call new cage movement, the very white uh, the very watered down, the very love and light and rainbows and unicorn spirituality to something that is a bit more real, um, that is more embodied, that is more grounded, that is more raw and authentic. But, you know, you you lost a friend um, who took her life because she gave up everything and fully embodied or, or not embodied but tried to and work with these practices or did work mm-hmm. with these practices with the um unfortunately sold the illusion that this is going to fix everything right as opposed to just seeing them as relief techniques to use where necessary exactly right which is fine i've yes. used them yes i've used i've used it's all good to get me through hard <laughs> places i got no problem with it's all good right except when it's really important for me to admit it's not good yes <laughs> then it's a whole different story right it, i mean this is grounded spirituality is really actually kind of common sense i right. mean that's really really all i'm talking about and now i think up against the patriarchal spiritual traditions traditions that's a very very hard thing to push up against um because almost everything in my view we've been calling spirituality is dissociated and oriented in those directions new cage is a little easier because it's not hard to talk about it's all good, for example, or the notion of forgiveness and talk about it in a way that's more balanced. Yes, sometimes it's all good and sometimes it isn't. And people kind of go, yeah, you know, I know that's true. And and then we allow these practices, I call it new cage when new age practices become a prison. Right. If they don't become a prison, I'm happy to hold the new age movement and we can reap the benefits where appropriate. Sure. Exactly. Just like we're medication. Some people need medication. Some need it long term, some need it short term. But that makes me think of like I'll you know I'll be speaking at a at a conference and I'll see someone wearing a shirt I've, or I've seen someone uh, actually unfortunately more than once where it says like meditation over medication and it's like you know that well they that, can be the same thing yeah well very true because meditation can be its own quote unquote medication yeah, but sure. you know it's like shaming people that need medication that doesn't make them any less spiritual just. You know, maybe they have a diagnosis and I've had to take medication and uh, it's it's, so to me, again, part of that, I would fall under the umbrella of new cage uh, in a heartbeat. I mean, imagine you're, you get a horrible diagnosis and people around you tell you that you must have chosen it and manifest it karmically. I mean, listen, (laughs) a person, a person can say to me, I know myself so well that I know that I manifest this on a karmic level. Now, I don't think I have a basis to tell them they're wrong, Sure, but I'm not going to tell them that. Yeah, that's for them to decide. Yes, fair, fair, very fair enough. 
So, Jeff, later on, and and I'm keeping an eye on the clock. We're starting to run down on time. But, um, and there's, I mean, we're barely scratching the surface of this book. But uh, aside from all of this, you, you cover so much more. And, and moving into part three, mm-hmm. it's titled The Why. And that consists of four yeah. chapters. So you have Sacred Purpose, Callings and Gifts, Sell Your Soul, but Sell, C-E-L-L, Your Soul, and soul pods. So just, you know, being respectful of the time, your time and listeners time. Can you give us an overview of mm. that? I know it's four chapters and a whole section, mm. but you know, you kind of bring it all together there. So can you do you yeah. talk about that section? Well, I think what what I was experiencing in writing this dialogue with this guy Michael, uh, who I began to feel like he was actually there with me in a way, sure, um, yeah. was that the first step was part two, which which I call here. So right. the first thing was I had to get him here, right? right? So because what he was calling here was not what I thought was really here. Um, and as we the process developed with him, he moved into his body and into the feelings, and in all to the a lot of the material that was preventing him from being here and new cage beliefs and practices were part of that. They right. keep you from being here because they're not, they're not reality based, right? They're just techniques yeah. that are masquerading as wisdoms, um, which is most of the whole spiritual world. Um, and so then at the end of it, it was like, in my mind, he was saying to me, okay, Jeff, so now I'm more here. I feel like shit. It's incredibly uncomfortable to be here in this world at this time. Um, and then his question to me is inherently, well, so why am I here? You know, why am I going to endure all this suffering? Why am I going to endure all this discomfort? Why bring me back here if all I'm going to do is sit here and quiver in my in my suffering? And so for me, the only answer to that question was what I call sacred purpose. That is identifying the very unique encoded path within you, the callings, gifts, archetypal, emotional learnings, processes you need to go through as part of your transformation, wherever there's growth, there's purpose. And if in my experience, as and writing was really a very big step for this for mm-hmm. me, it became sort of a buffer against the madness of the world and a way a buffer against my own madness and also an opportunity to continue to grow and to be here and to feel like I have a purpose here. And so we move Michael in the direction of uniting the here, hereness, and the why, the whyness, and, and ultimately coming to realize that the more he's here, the more that he therefore comes into contact with why he's here and the more he lives the why he's here the more it brings him as a portal into his hereness so the more that i write the more that i'm here and the more that i'm here the more i know that i have to write and because if you're not deeply in your body you'll find a lot of people in the spiritual world will be confused as to their directionality well they can't find their directionality because our notion of spirituality has led them away from the self and the body the body is where i found all my answers i did emotional work and at the end of it it said okay it's time to write I cleared some yeah. debris and said, okay, you've got to go be a lawyer now. This is a step on your path. If I'm not in my body and if I'm not clearing the emotional debris, there's no space inside for me to access directionality, right? right. It becomes a concept or that, you know, you'll find a lot of these bypassing teachers talking about purpose. But if you really look closely, they don't really know anything about individuated purpose because they don't believe in individuation. They believe in right. unity consciousness alone. So with him, I wanted to bring him in the direction that I think I felt I went in which is to get more here and then to access the why and then to live the why, which would bring me more here. And really that's what the last part of the book's about. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you for <laughs> giving us that, you know, overview of it. What I love Jeff also about this book, which I do in my own, I find is so important is it's one thing to talk about these things, but then to actually incorporate some kind of practices and, and real practices and, and I see a therapist weekly. That is a very important part of my healing. Um, you know, and I do, I've done somatic work. I've, you know, so much body work, 
But you offer a handful of practices in these books that um, are very grounding. And I was hoping you would be willing to share one. If there's one that you feel inspired that, you know, you can offer our listeners uh, something they could implement in their own lives, even starting today. If you'd be comfortable with that, I'd love it. I'll read an exercise. You know, I, I'm Perfect. tempted to read, read the barking dog yoga exercise, but it's it's too long. So let me read um, exercise three. Sure. The excavation meditation. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. All right. Sit on a floor, or sit on the chair, or on a cushion in whatever position feels most comfortable. While sitting, do not close your eyes or focus your gaze directly ahead or above you. Instead, keep your eyes opened and focused downward, looking directly and with great curiosity at your body temple. Gaze at your body as you would a loved one. Begin to make contact with your breath, inviting it into awareness, feeling it move through you. First, start with gentle breathing, as if you are gradually warming up. Then, invite your breath to move strongly and pointedly throughout your body, infusing your body with life force pushing into and beyond tightly held regions. If you feel resistance, do not hesitate or recoil. Breathe even stronger. If you feel emotions, do not merely watch them as they float past. Instead, immerse yourselves in them. Deepen into feeling, inviting all held emotions and memories to be fully felt. Use the breath as an excavation tool. With your breath, purposefully dig deep. Your aim is to bring repressed material to the surface where it can be released and reintegrated. Allow this meditation to become a kind of visceral, physical landscape of feeling and sensation. If there are tears, feel into and move them to the extent that you can. If there's anger, feel into and move it to the extent that you can. If there are words or sounds, express them fully. If you find yourself turning toward your habitual meditation style that includes a focus on the sensations of the body, return to the breath and intensify it. If you find yourself getting distracted by thoughts, return to the breath and intensify it. If you find yourself wanting this exercise to end, return to the breath and intensify it. Whatever arises, return to the breath and intensify it. Your breath is your excavation tool in your guide. Now you are not just watching the body as it contracts and expands. You are fully experiencing and inhabiting the body. Feelings, emotions, sounds, sensations, textures, roars, all and everything. Stay with this process until you have abandoned the watcher and have become a full-bodied total experiencer. Feeling, moving, expressing, and releasing as fully as you can. Love it. Like that. Yeah. It's, it's, and we need hundreds of these. We need, yeah. we need the co-creation of a new mo- new models of spirituality that are not rooted in lineage that are about embodiment, integration, integrating transcendence and imminence through the body, within the body, moving the emotional material and with practices and techniques of all kinds that will allow us to support humanity, the species going forward. You know, if we continue to isolate ourselves and call that awakening, we are not going to be able to, we're not going to notice what's happening to anyone around us and we're not going to notice what's happening to the planet. If we develop a whole group of exercises that are normalized within society that are about reintegration, then we have a real chance at saving our species. 
Yeah, and, yeah. and we are in that dire of a situation. Yes, yes, we are, and that's why critical view review of all spiritual te- teachings is mandatory for humanity. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, Jeff, we've only got a couple minutes left, and I always like to leave um, I guess with the kind of the last say. So, again, we've covered a lot of this book, but not even like half, uh, to be honest. So was there anything either book related or not that we did not cover that you would like, uh, to, to leave readers with or anything really, whatever, uh, anything that's coming up for you? Yeah, I just, I think, I feel like for me, this book is is more than anything, a call to action uh, for people who are interested in the questions around spirituality and healing. Um, you know, I don't for a moment think it has all the answers. I think it just begins to open a certain conversation up. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want to encourage people, all people and particularly young people to take on this question of what is spirituality and to take on the enormous, profound and significant task of co-creating models that will serve humanity going forward that are not again, uh, sourced in old ideas of spirituality, except to the extent that they will serve us. Sure. Um, but that really, really move from uh, an experience and an intention of inclusivity um, at the heart. Just like everything is happening culturally around gender, around sexuality, in the direction of honoring inclusivity, we need to do that with our spirituality. And that begins and ends with reintegrating ourselves on an emotional and physical level. Wonderfully said, Jeff. So I know as far as your publishing website, people can find uh, mm. your books uh, besides Amazon uh, at enrealment.com. Uh, Don't worry about writing this down if you're listening. Just simply if you're on the Be Here Now uh, uh, podcast page, um, simply just scroll down and we will have a link to that. Jeff, your personal page, is it Soul Shaping? Mm. Yeah, so yeah, soulshaping.com has been the site for years, but we are just in the process of completing a new website, okay. uh, jeffbrown.co, uh, and my online teaching platform is soulshapinginstitute.com, and people can connect with me on Facebook at facebook.com slash soulshaping, and I'm also on uh, I'm getting more active on Instagram. Wonderful. So we'll have links to all of that. Again, if you're checking this out on the Be Here Now Network, just scroll down. You'll be able to find Jeff's links, links to his books, which... Every single thing Jeff has published, I uh, am a fan of, I own, I have read. Um, I've got to say, though, Jeff, I think Grounded Spirituality is uh, my favorite thus far. It really, it's accessible. It, Like you said, it starts a much-needed conversation. It offers a lot of wonderful pointers, and I feel like it's the beginning of something not only dire but very special and uh, beautiful if if we can take it and run with it. So, um, right. you know, right. I, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Jeff, and uh, having you on the show. I'll have to have you back on. We can talk more about the book because uh, there's so much more we can talk about uh, or just life. You know, I love yeah. just chatting with you. So maybe we'll have you on and we'll just shoot the shit about the shit. And what an whatever. idea. We'll just get real together. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, but yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, I really want to promote this book. So, you know, again, please uh, check this book out, check everything out from Jeff. Uh, But this book is incredible. If you're not following him on Facebook, you're doing yourself a disservice because a lot of great wisdom of Jeff's is on there and a lot of great conversations happen on there. So check out all things Jeff Brown. And until next time, this is Chris Gross with the Indie Spirituals Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in, and I wish you a really nice rest of your day. Mm